Friends, join us as we continue our series in the Gospel of John. We're going to hear from the Bible now as Emily comes and reads for us. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 15, verses 18, to John chapter 16, verse 4. My version may be a little bit different than yours. My disciples, does the world hate you? Remember that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you like one of its own. But you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. I said, a slave is not more important than its master. If people hated me and tried to hurt me, they would do the same to you. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. They will treat you like that because of my name. They do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. I did works among them that no one else did. If I hadn't, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen those works, and they still have hated me and my father. This has happened so that what is written in their law would come true. It says... They hated me without any reason. I will send the friend to you from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth who comes out from the Father. When the friend comes to help you, he will be a witness about me. You must also be witnesses about me. That's because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you all this so that you will not turn away from the truth. You will be thrown out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when someone may kill you. And they will think that they are doing God a favor. They will do things like that because they do not know the Father or me. Why have I told you this? So that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Thank you, Emily. Great reading. But not exactly a heartwarming passage. My name's Andy, my wife Kaz, Emily, who you just saw, uh, and my two sons, Jono and Ben, uh, we call Canterbury Gardens home. I'm not a pastor or teacher, sorry, I'm not a pastor or elder here, but I am a member of the teaching team and it's a privilege to bring you God's word from time to time. It does great things for my heart and so I want to thank you for letting me do that again this morning. If you're a regular with CGCC, it's great uh, that you're with us. Uh, if you're a visitor, welcome. We love to have you. If you're seeking Jesus, you've stumbled across this link. Uh, if you are hurting from past uh, experiences with the church, I want to say that we're not a perfect church. You haven't found a perfect preacher, that's for sure, but we do believe in a perfect saviour, we do believe in Jesus. And we hope that it's him that you see today and that it's him that you hear from because we want to make a big deal about Jesus, not about us. I'm going to pray uh, before we start. So uh, let me bring our time uh, to Jesus. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that it is from you that we would hear your message. Uh, not from me, Lord, I pray that uh, every word that is spoken would be your message. Uh, I pray that our hearts would be open 
uh, to hear what you want to say to us, each individually, as we look at this passage. Uh, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I've never come across someone who really wants to talk about hate in a real sense. We'd much rather talk about love, particularly Christians. Uh, You want to talk about love? That's great. Uh, And fair enough, love is a much more appealing topic. In fact, Jesus has been talking about love in the earlier chapters of John that we've just been looking at. Uh, John chapters 14 and 15, uh, love and obedience belongs together. It's about love. Remain in my love. Uh, Love each other as I have loved you. Uh, Greater love hath no man that he lay down his life and so on. It's all been about love. But now, just to pile up on top of your global pandemic, your school from home and the freezing cold winter weather that we're just having, now we're going to talk about a passage that has this heading, The World Hates the Disciples. Happy birthday. Isn't it nice? Uh, I know, it's not, it's not a book. Uh, if, you saw, if you saw this book on the shelf, you wouldn't pick it up and say, that sounds like a fun read. Um, put down the remote control. Don't switch off just yet. There is actually good news in this passage, and I want to I bring that to you, and I'm excited to bring that to you. In fact, it's really good news, particularly in hard times. Let's start with uh, at just this question. The, word, the passage uses this word hate. In the, in the first few verses, we get hate. What is hate? Usually when we talk about hate, it's just an extreme form of dislike. Uh, one of my kids uh, would say he hates pumpkin. Uh, I've just given away maybe who it is, but uh, he actually doesn't hate pumpkin. He doesn't like pumpkin. It's not his favourite food, but hate is a bit strong. Uh, he doesn't set out to hurt pumpkins. He doesn't speak out against pumpkins to others. He hasn't joined a ban pumpkin movement. Uh, if you don't talk about pumpkin, neither will he. Uh, he's, not at, rid to, he's not out to get rid of pumpkin from the world. Uh, it's not true hatred. It's just dislike. But true hatred, true hatred is something that can produce some pretty ugly kind of results. It produces a motivation to speak out against something. It motivates us to proactively go and find that thing and get rid of it if we hate something. Hatred is associated uh, with hostility, with anger. It's usually so strong that, that it produces actions within us. Uh, and, and true hatred leads to horrible actions. Ultimate hatred of a person can lead to murder. Ultimate hatred against ourselves can lead to suicide. It's in this passage that we get reminded that hatred of God has consequences and those consequences are ongoing. They last forever. So after I've reminded you about the background to this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and I hope that background is going to help us, then we're going to step through this passage in three main sections. Firstly, we're going to look at who and why who the world hates, and why. And then secondly, we're going to look at what and when. What is our response to Jesus, and when does that have implications? When does that happen? And then thirdly, we're going to look at how. How can we face this hatred or this this opposition that is described here? 
So first, before we go through who, why, what, when, and how, I want to just give you a bit of background to this conversation that Jesus is having. We are in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. It is Passover time. Jesus has been celebrating Passover with his disciples. Uh, and and this, is, this is what is traditionally called the Last Supper. It has just happened, the Last Supper. But John, when John records the Last Supper, he doesn't focus on, on the communion and the elements that uh, other Gospels look at. He actually focuses on something that Jesus did in that Last Supper, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. In fact, that was the last time I was here talking to you was when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And after that Last Supper, we get this long dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. It is basically his final words before he goes to the cross. He's talking to them about things like sending the Holy Spirit to them. He's giving them hope that they're not going to be on their own. He talks about the relationship between the Father and the Son and then between Jesus and his disciples. He talks about the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He talks about uh, the vine and the branches, the fact that they're so connected that they're considered as one and that Jesus wants to be like that with us. And now we get some of Jesus' final words about our relationship with the world that we live in, the people around us. Jesus knows that he's heading to the cross very shortly and he's preparing his disciples for what to expect. He's actually lovingly preparing their hearts so that what they witness and what they experience won't be a massive, massive shock to them. They don't need to know everything, but they do need to know this. And so let's pick up in the first verses, and we're going to look at who and why. Just turn with me again to John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And on he goes. Let's just pause and think about this. Who is they? Who is this world that Jesus is talking about? Does it mean that every person on the planet will hate Christians? No, John, John's not using the world as in the whole world's population here. He uses it to describe uh, the world as in the people who don't follow Jesus, who need the gospel but who haven't yet responded to Jesus. He uses this uh, word, the world, many, many times. Over 50 times John talks about the world. And oftentimes it's talking about the population of unbelievers, the movement of, or the general people uh, in the world or in, on earth who don't follow Jesus. We see it in John chapter 1. The world did not recognize him. Some people did recognize Jesus. It wasn't the whole world, but it was the world, the unbelievers who didn't recognize Jesus. And then this, these verses go on and they, they show us who the world is hating and why. Who is the world hating? They're hating Jesus. And that's the answer to most uh, questions in church and Sunday school. Jesus. If you're not sure about the answer, put up your hand and say Jesus. But they also hate the world. Sorry, they hate Jesus' disciples. Why? It's a really good question to ask. Why? Why the hatred? It kind of seems a bit immature. You know, hey, you're friends with so-and-so. I hate so-and-so. Therefore, I hate you. Um, wow. That's like, that's like the way people view Collingwood supporters. Um, that, that just seems really nasty. 
Actually, there is two main reasons why, and they have actually been outlined for us in these chapters that Jesus has been talking with his disciples. So let's look at those two main reasons. One, the first reason, it is because who we are as Christians is defined by Jesus. Who we are is defined by Jesus. Let's quickly talk about identity, status, and belonging. All of that wrapped up in who we are is defined by Jesus. Firstly, identity. Jesus wants our relationship to be as one with him. He's been explaining to his disciples that very issue. He wants us to dwell, he, sorry, he wants to dwell in us and he wants us to dwell in him. And he gives these examples as trying, trying to illustrate the relationship that he wants with us. He says things like, as I and the Father are one, so you are to be one with me. Imagine if I said to someone, you know, I like this person, uh, but I hate their face. I like the person, but I hate their face. You kind of wouldn't take me seriously. You'd wonder if I really do like them because their face is part of them. You know, I can't separate their face from them. Imagine if I said, uh, I love the vine, but I hate the branches. Well, the branches are part of the vine. Uh, You either love it or you don't. You You can't really identify them separately. They are both one. The way you view one you naturally view the other. Jesus is drawing our attention to this this reality that the way they view him is the way that they will view his followers. The way we people view Jesus is the way that people will view Jesus' followers. If they hate me, he says, and by the way, you are joined to me and I'm joined to you and I'm living in you, if they hate me, then they will automatically also hate you. It's as simple as that. Secondly, let's talk about status. We're still talking about this whole identity wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus says these words, if you, if you name me as master, then you can't be tr- expecting to be treated better than how your master was treated. That's, that's what he means when he says, no servant is greater than his master. This is not talking, he's not undoing those words where he spoke about uh, not calling you servants anymore and calling you friends. He's using this as an illustration to say, you can't expect to be treated better than your master was treated. If you follow me, you can expect to be treated the same. This doesn't mean, uh, sorry, the famous preacher, Spurgeon, he puts it in these words. We cannot expect, therefore, to receive honour or to wear a crown of gold when Jesus wore a crown of thorns. I'll say that again for you. We can't expect, therefore, to receive honour and to wear a crown of gold when Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Our status is not greater than Jesus. And so we can't expect our treatment by the world to be better than Jesus. Let me also talk to you about belonging. Again, still in this idea of our identity being wrapped up in Jesus or defined by Jesus. I've been watching a TV show. Uh, It's Netflix season, you know. We're all all at home and uh, streaming a lot of stuff on TV. I've been watching a a thing called Detectorists. Um, Funny show, but... There's, it's about a, a group of metal detectorists who walk around waving their uh, wands uh, over the fields in England, finding stuff. But they're in a club. Uh, I can't remember what it stands for, but they're in a club called the DMDC. Uh, the C stands for club. And there's another club out there called the Dirt Sharks. And if you're a member of one, you automatically hate the other. And if you're a member of the other, you automatically hate the one. Um, 
they, they would never ever associate with each other, they would never form friendships across the two clubs, they automatically belong, you belong to one, you dislike the other. That's just how it is. Jesus is saying that the same is true of Christians and the world. When you choose to follow Jesus, then you've kind of left one club and you've joined the other. You don't belong to the world anymore. It's, the world is like a club that you don't follow their rules anymore. You no longer subscribe to its vision statement or its mission. You don't pay heed to its leadership. You mix with its members, but you have ceased your membership. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. It's not because we're superior, but it's because we don't follow the leaders of the world any longer. We belong to someone else. That's why we don't belong. That's why we are different. You can't both belong to Jesus and to the world. You can only love and follow and subscribe to the vision and mission of one of them. They are actually mutually exclusive. And there's plenty of examples in the Bible where Jesus says, hey, you, you can't go both ways. You're going to have to make a choice. Taken in isolation, this uh, passage might be seen as permission to go out and make enemies um, or that Christians... Uh, you know, who are liked uh, or popular or, or seen as good people by the world are not real fair income Christians. But that would be ignoring other things that Jesus says, like love your enemies or love your neighbor. Just because Jesus says you're going to have enemies doesn't mean you go out and be jerks for Jesus. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is simply giving a heads up. He's giving a warning. And it still applies to us today. There is going to be times when you have to choose between pleasing God or pleasing other people. They are going to be mutually exclusive choices. You won't be able to please both people. And so Jesus is giving us this warning. Living for him is not going to please other people all of the time. And don't be shocked, Jesus says. Don't be shocked when this happened. It happened to Jesus. And if it happened to Jesus, we can't expect to be any different to that. We can't expect to be exempt from that, that feeling of having to choose between who am I going to please. And so I would encourage you to ask yourself when you're in those dilemmas, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to choose. I don't know which way to go. I don't know how to respond to this. Ask yourself this question and it might help you make a choice. Who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please people or am I trying to please God? What does God say about these responses? What does God say about these circumstances? How can I please him? How can I follow him? So the main reason, that one first main reason that the world hates Jesus' followers is because our identity is wrapped up in Jesus. And if the world hated Jesus, and it did, they decided to kill him, then it's going to hate Jesus' followers because our identity is wrapped up in him. The second reason that Jesus hates followers, sorry, the world hates Jesus' followers, is because the gospel, the message of Jesus, is kind of offensive. Now, you might, see, you might say, wow, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. When I say it's offensive, I mean it's kind of insulting. The gospel is like a person that walks up to you and says, you've got a problem. You can't fix your problem. You're not good enough to get to God. You're never going to be good enough to get to God. And the other person would say, well, it's nice to meet you too. Thanks very much. Um, that is not what most people want to hear. Most people want to hear that they are good. 
And that deep down inside is the answer to our problems. And deep down inside, most people are good. That's what we want to hear. But it's not what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us that our problems, they're not out there. The problems are deep down in here. And the answers are not deep down in here. The answer is somewhere else. It's outside of me. That is kind of offensive when you tell people that they've got a problem and that the problem is deep down inside. And understandably, that's, that's offensive. That's not what we want to hear. Most people find it hard to listen beyond that point. If that's you, I'm praying that God will help you to hear past that point today. And if that was where the gospel message ended, then not only would it be offensive, it would be a message of hopelessness. But that is not where the gospel message ends. The message keeps going. The message keeps going and it sounds like this. You do have a problem and you can't fix it. The problem is called sin. It's your desire to be in charge of your own life instead of allowing God to be in control. Allowing God to be in charge where he belongs. That is your problem. And you're not good enough to get to God by yourself. You will never be good enough. Neither will I. God's standard is perfection. Relatively good, mostly good, respected by people. They are not scores that are enough to get us into heaven. We are not enough. God's standard is perfection. And perfection means you're either perfect or not perfect. And none of you or I are perfect. So we do have a problem. And we can't fix it by ourselves. We can't address the problem by ourselves. But the message goes on. God, God came for you and for me. He didn't wait for us to ask. He didn't wait for us to try. He didn't wait for us to be good enough. He certainly didn't wait for us to deserve it. He didn't wait for us to be good at all. He came for no other reason than he loves you. He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he died for you. He died for you so to deal with that problem that you can't deal with. And then he invites us to accept his offer of freedom. Freedom from guilt and freedom from shame and freedom from the power of sin. He offers us a new life, one that has meaning and one that has purpose. One that does not rely on getting it right all the time. Thank goodness for that. He offers us a life that relies on God being right all of the time. You have the opportunity to respond to that message and you have that opportunity today. Why does it matter that you have that opportunity today? The answers are actually in this passage. It's a lovely segue to the next set of verses. Look at verses 20 through, uh, 22 through to 25. Uh, it highlights this issue. Let me just read to you from 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, then they would not have been guilty of their sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. Verse 24 has the same concept of now that they've heard, there's a responsibility, there's guilt, there's, there's consequences. I just want to make a small note to you. Jesus is not saying that the, per, the people who had not heard are not sinners. That's not what he's saying. If that was the case, then they wouldn't need to hear the gospel at all. And so there'd be no, no need for them to hear the gospel. They'd be perfect people. But we know there are no perfect people. Jesus is talking about the implications of our response to Jesus. He's talking about what is our response and when does that have implications. And the short answers to these, 
to this is, there are two possible responses to Jesus. You either accept or reject. You're either gonna accept or reject. There's no middle ground. There's no a little bit of both. You can't have a little bit of column A and a little from column B. Once you've heard the gospel, you actually can't not respond because by failing to respond, you are rejecting. The implication of your decision about the gospel is also both now and ongoing. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I'm going to invite Emily back up here for a second. Now, Emily, you know what this is? Yeah, that's $20. Uh, we don't have to respect distancing. We live in the same household. Uh, Emily, you can have that if you like. Just sanitize my hands. Uh, right at this point, Emily's either going to take this $20 or not. Her reasons for not taking it, you're not going to take it? I do owe you some pocket money. <laughs> Her reasons for not taking it are kind of irrelevant. No matter what the reason for her failing to take it, her rejection of this results in her not having $20. If she takes it, no, she's still not taking it. If she takes it, she's going to have my $20. And if she doesn't take it, she won't have my $20. Now, that kind of seems like perfect sense. Now, but let me, let me tell you why. From now on, she's never going to be the same. Tomorrow she will not have my $20. Tomorrow, she's $20 worse off than she should be. She didn't know until right now that she was missing my $20. And if she fails to take it, tomorrow she'll still be missing my $20. In fact, as of this moment, Emily will never be the same. She's either going to be $20 better or she's going to be $20 poorer. Despite the fact that she, she doesn't take my $20, she's got the same amount of money she had before, and I don't know how much she's got saved up. But tomorrow, when she's rejected my $20, she's worse off. She's $20 worse off than she ever would have been. When does she start feeling the implications of that offer? As soon as she hears it. Friends, if you are someone who has never responded to Jesus, then that illustration is for you. The time for accepting the gospel is right now. When we say, maybe later, let me think about it, I'm still not ready, that is a rejection. That is a failure to accept. Jesus' offer is for us today. Don't put it off. Don't continue to reject. You and I don't know what the future holds. We've kind of been reminded about that really clearly these last few months. We don't know what the future holds, but you today have an opportunity to take, to accept. Don't pass it up. Because when you don't accept tomorrow, that has implications both now and ongoing. If you're someone who is contemplating Jesus you're seeking Jesus. You're asking, what is this Jesus thing all about? What does it mean to accept him and, and to make him king of my life instead of being king myself? Then can I tell you that time for that decision is now. I would encourage you to pick up the phone after church today or jump online, get in, trust, get in touch with a trusted Christian friend 
and simply say these words. I know Jesus makes me an offer and I need to respond and I haven't accepted yet. Just tell someone. I know Jesus is making me an offer and I haven't accepted yet. Can we talk about this? The offer is for us today. We either accept it or we don't. We cannot be the same after that point. Lastly, Jesus talks about how. Thankfully, he doesn't leave us with who, why, what, and when. And if he did, uh, all that I'd be left with is a message that I'm going to have enemies uh, because some people are going to not like Jesus and what he stands for, and that means they're not going to like me. Uh, But how am I going to face this? How? Am I on my own? How do I get through? The answer is partly in this passage and partly in the next passage that we're going to read from John. So I'm not going to steal too much thunder from the next person. uh, But let me just give you this as a teaser. How? The answer is God himself. God the Holy Spirit. God is not like an army general who just kind of sends you out there and says, good luck, I hope you go well. There's There's enemies out there, watch out. Have a look at verse 26. When the counselor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus is reminding the disciples, not just here, but about other parts of the conversation that they've just had. We are not on our own. We are not on our own. That ought to make us want to raise a hallelujah to sing a song from the middle of the storm. We are not by ourselves. Let me give you a quote from the earlier part of this conversation that Jesus had. John 14, verses 18 to 20. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. There's that relationship, that connectedness. Jesus goes on in those verses to basically say, I'm telling you this uh, so that you don't go astray. The rest of these verses uh, in, in the end of chapter 15 and the start of chapter 16 is saying this, I'm giving you this warning so this doesn't take you by surprise. You won't be able to say, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. Jesus is saying, yeah, you did. When you sign up for me, you sign up for this. And as tough as the warning is, have you thought about this? Let me, let me just ask you this question. Have you thought about who it is that is enabled to say what to expect in the future? Jesus is the only person in your life who has the ability to tell you what to expect in the future. He can tell you that with confidence. Look at verse 25. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus is saying, the experience that I've had with the world, I knew was coming. In fact, it was foretold in the scripture. And the experience you're going to have is foretold right now by me. That's what Jesus is saying. If you were heading out on a journey, who would you team up with? Would you team up with someone who knew the path or someone who didn't know? Would you team up with someone who knew the path or someone who didn't know? What if the person who knew the path says, yeah, I'll come with you, but just be warned, it's going to be hard. We can get through, but it's going to be hard. Would you still team up with that person? I would. 
I'd rather team up with someone who knows the path than someone who doesn't, or worse still, just go on my own and say, I'll make it up as I go. My expectation is that you would choose to team up with a person who knows the path, who's able to tell you what to expect, be by your side, and assure you that they will get you through. Jesus tells us that following him is not easy. He knows the path, and he promises to be with us every single step of the way. That is the how. That is how we face life. If that is the kind of life companion that you're looking for, and you've never accepted Jesus then can I encourage you, pick up the phone, get, jump online, get in, front, get in touch with a trusted Christian friend and simply, simply start your conversation with this. I know Jesus makes an offer. I haven't accepted yet. Can we talk? Let me pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you answer so many questions in your word. Questions like, why is this happening? Questions like, how am I supposed to get through this? Questions like, I'm feeling alone. Who is here for me? Lord, you answer those questions and you are the answer to so many of those questions. Lord, I pray uh, for those of us who uh, have chosen to follow you already, uh, that would be encouraged by these words. Uh, that we'd be encouraged by the fact that we are not alone, uh, that you are here with us, you know the path, and you do supply the power to get us through. Lord, I pray for those who haven't ever decided to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would see uh, Jesus as a, a life companion that is worth having, someone who knows the path, who can take us where we need to go, who will always be there. Lord, I pray even today, that those of us who are seeking Jesus, who are contemplating Jesus, would take that step and make a decision to follow him. We ask all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.